KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. It's just a good conversation with somebody that you didn't know you were interested in. I'm Matt Leon, and this is One on One. I always say, like, I use a little yellow ball to teach them life skills. I think sometimes you learn more from being on a team than you might in a classroom. So I always just say this little ball is going to make you be a life-ready ram because it's going to teach you more about yourself than maybe sitting in a classroom. And our guest this week, Diane Loki, one of the best softball coaches going. She has spent more than two decades leading the program at Division II Westchester University. And Diane, thanks so much for taking the time. No problem. Thank you for having me. So as we're discussing this in the heart of summer, uh, mid-July, what's life like for you? Are you, is this a little bit of a downtime, waist deep in recruiting, already looking towards the fall? What's uh, the focus these days? Uh, the heavy recruiting um is coming to an end. It's usually from mid-June to mid-July. Uh, we also are in the middle of camps and clinics so that we have a few this week and then that'll start to slow down. Then we have about a few weeks and then we get ready for the fall. Much like just about everything else in college athletics, people need to appreciate it really has become a 12-month-a-year thing, has it? I mean, there's very little off-season in air quotes. That is correct. There's very little downtime. I always say like we have like we have three peaks, you know, we have mid-August till the first week in December. And then we have January through the hopefully through the end of May. And then you have like a week off and then you get right into the heavy recruiting season and you go, go, go. So you guys in 2023 had a very successful season. I'm curious, how long does it take you to kind of fully process a season like how much how far, far away from it do you have to be to kind of really appreciate what you did where can it get better you know kind of catalog it because uh i'm sure it's hard to do you know during the grind of the season when when things are are, are moving but how long does it take you to really kind of put a season to bed yeah well it's, during the season i will make little notes here and there but then after the season i'm normally exhausted so i take like time just to to relax and just, you know, reflect and just chill out for a little bit. Then I start, you know, really going back to my notes and figuring like out what we, you know, what we need to be better at, what we really need to work on and just then moving forward towards the fall and getting so, ready for the next season. So let's talk a little bit about your story growing up. Was it softball all the time or were you playing everything as a kid? Well, as a kid, there wasn't that many options for me. I had to play baseball. Um, I played baseball for a year and then finally they got softball. I also was a cheerleader because back then there wasn't the soccers. There wasn't that. I I was a cheerleader for seven years, played basketball. But in high school, I was a three-sport athlete, played field hockey, basketball, and softball and played um, field hockey in college. Did you have a favorite as a kid? I mean, you played all those sports and would you say there was one that was at the top of the list or was it kind of whatever you were in the midst of at that moment was your favorite? Our family was a big baseball family. So I would say like I grew up watching my big brother play baseball and um, and my mom and dad were, they were both big baseball people. So I would say that's why I'm a softball coach because I felt like I, you know, had, I was brought up on baseball and softball because everybody asked me, well, you played college field hockey. Why didn't you coach field hockey? Well, I just, you know, I was a, I was a really good field hockey player, but I just felt 
my knowledge base was more in the baseball softball area. So you take field hockey as far as playing further than the others. When did you realize that you were going to be able to to kind of ride the sport further than most, take it to another level? Was there a crystallizing moment? You know, out of college, I worked in my degree field, which was recreation, and I and I coached high school softball for 10 years. And then I slowly was like, oh, I really like this. And then um, I got the job at Elizabethtown College for two years. And, and then that's when the Westchester job came open. And I got that job and I just like, you know, was happy. Like, I was just so excited to be in the field that, you know, I, my family was you know, we were just baseball, softball people. And it was just like a great opportunity for me. So playing field hockey, when did uh, you realize you could play that at college? Was that something where you kind of surprised or did you, did it just seem like the next natural step you were having success and you started getting recruited? Okay. So here's the real story. When I went to college, that was back in the eighties. Like we really weren't recruited or anything like that. I actually got cut from my field hockey and softball my freshman year in college. Then I had a field hockey class during my freshman year of college. And the field hockey coach came up to me and was like, hey, I think you really need to come back out your sophomore year. So I went back out and I just started playing field hockey. So I and then I always played softball in the summer and I never I went back and played my senior year of softball at college. But that was the story. Like I just sort of like got cut. It was lost and um, had that field hockey class. And she was like, and that was Sharon Taylor um, at Lock Haven. And she was like, yeah, I think I made a mistake. I think you really need to come back out your sophomore year. So I did and ended up being um, a three-year starter at Lock Haven in field hockey. Is there anything that was different that you were doing in that class that maybe you weren't doing at the tryout? Like, was it just a matter maybe she just didn't, have eyes on you the way she had eyes on you in the class and saw things. She just needed to focus a little more on what you brought to the table. Yeah. I don't think she really knew who I was and I'm very quiet person. So I didn't really like make myself known. I just sort of went like, I'm just a very quiet and introvert person. So it, um, I think that was part of the problem. And then when I had class, like she just got to know me as a different person. So what was it like kind of that second time? through? Were you more comfortable? And I guess you had to ha kind of have a feeling that you were in a pretty good spot considering the coach kind of asked you to come out. Like it's a lot different than just kind of showing up. Well, as I like tell my athletes that your freshman year of college, like there's so much maturity and, you know, that goes on. And I think that going into your sophomore year, you've just learned so much more about yourself, you know, being away from home and, you know, just learn and growing up. And I think that that just like really helped me my sophomore year. Plus she knew who I was. Like she just knew that who I was, I wasn't just some random kid walking onto the field hockey field. You played defense? Yeah, I played defense. Yep. What made you good? What do you think were your strengths as a collegiate field hockey player? I don't really know. I would just, you know, I worked hard and I um, listened and I just, you know, I wasn't like a standout. I just did the job, I guess. Just did the job. <laughs> did you always figure that some sort of coaching was going to be in your future, whether it was college or just, you know, little league or helping out a friend or whatever? Did you always feel like you, you were going to coach in some way or form? I don't think that I ever 
didn't coach. Well, during college, I umpired and did that to make money. And then right after college, I got into the rec recreation little league like type. And I did that for a number of years. And then I um, was the varsity assistant at Warwick High School while I worked my full-time job at the Littis Community Center. And I um, coached there for nine years and just, I don't, there wasn't very many years. And then when I left Warwick, I volunteered at Lebanon Valley College. And then the E-Town job came open. It just sort of went from there. You mentioned umpiring. How much having that experience, did that give you a kind of a 360 appreciation for coaching? You were able to kind of understand what an ump or a ref is trying to do and, and stuff like that. Did it give you a little bit more appreciation for everything? Yes. I umpired um, ASA and then I umpired high school softball. And then I was a high school field hockey umpire for like 12 years. So all of that helps, you know, I have a good um, sense of the rules. It really helped me understand that part and it helps me appreciate that. But I also have to say, as I got older, I am not as mean to the umpires. <laughs> you sort of just learn to understand that eh, it's not going you're not going to get anywhere with it. So just let it go. <laughs> so you talked a little bit about the coaching track was it obvious? And you said you've kind of been coaching all through, like when you start coaching at the high school level, was it immediate that this was what you needed to do? Was there a, a transition kind of adjusting, especially when you're younger and you're kind of close to the age of the kids? Was it tougher? No, it wasn't really tougher. I just knew when I coached high school softball, I really enjoyed it. I can't say that I always aspired to be a college coach. I always assumed that I would be, you know, working my full-time job, you know, and when I got out of college, you know, there weren't a lot of full-time coaching jobs, you know, it just sort of as life and college athletics continued, it just sort of, you know, full-time jobs positions came. So, um, and then when I left recreation, I was sort of in like an, uh, two years of what am I going to do with my life? And then I got the part-time job at E-Town College for softball. And um, that was like, well, I was like, wow, this is, I really enjoy this. This is where I'm supposed to be. And then the full-time position came available at Westchester. And that's when I got that job. So it just was talking to kids, to athletes, to younger females today. Like they just have so many more opportunities. And it just wasn't something back in the mid eighties that you aspired to be because it wasn't really, there weren't really that many jobs in it. So you mentioned the community, you worked at the Lidditz Community Center for a long time. You talk about the umpire background, you coach in high school. That's a very interesting skill set to bring to the college head coaching. You kind of have all the bases covered. You kind of understand a lot of things, logistics, I'm sure, kind of dealing with people. Obviously, the we talked about the umpiring angle. It seems to me when you start coaching at the college level, you are way more prepared than maybe the average person that's getting their first college job. Absolutely. I also was a huge fundraiser at my job. So we raise a lot of funds. So uh, one of um, our employees at Westchester always says, you have a great fundraising mind. I'm like, yeah, because I've been doing it my whole life. And I was a, a programmer for recreation. So I set up programs and travel. So I had that piece and I was an executive director for the Liz Community Center. So just, you know, working with people. So yeah, I, I um, had a lot of experience going into this job with what all we're asked to do because coaching is probably one of the aspects of the job that we don't get to do as much as we'd like to because we're fun 
fundraising. We're doing all of the paperwork and, you know, I have to do all the travel. So it's, it's a lot. Did you realize when you first started how much all those skills were going to serve you? It's just how my life was in recreation. You know, in recreation, you work on, we, we worked in quarters. So it's sort of how I do it now with college athletics. Like I'm already planning, you know, the end of the, the quarter for this year. And then I'm already into next quarter or the beginning for the season and the schedule. So like a lot of it is how I worked for so many years in recreation. It just continued. Like I do pretty much the same thing, except now I get to coach and, um, and, you know, really enjoy that aspect of it. Was there anything that when you started coaching at the college level did catch you off guard, something you hadn't had to deal with or something you had to learn on the fly that's an important part of the job or pretty much was everything you were comfortable with or had experience with? I think a lot of it I was comfortable with. I didn't work in the college setting. So, you know, working on the academic side is, you know, um, was different, but a lot of the the daily tasks, the grind is about the same as working in recreation. It's just that you're now, you know, also coaching this this group of uh, young ladies. So it's a huge time commitment and then trying to do everything else. So I think I was just used to it. So you start your college career at Elizabethtown, two years there, you have success. Did you feel like you were good at it right away or did it take, and I don't mean from a wins losses standpoint, like, but you felt like you had your arms around the job pretty much right away? Yeah, I did. It was, you know, the recruiting was all new. Um, and that's recruiting's just, you know, it's just difficult. And um, that was all new. And, you know, I am a quiet person, so that was hard for me to get used to. But yeah, like I, the game of softball, like I have no, you know, doubts about, like I really understand. And a lot of people would probably question that, but everybody has their different philosophies and every, you know, everybody can be a Monday morning quarterback, but, you know, I have, like, I know what I want to do and I'm very confident with that. I always say it's the one place in my life that it was very confident, just growing up around it with my family. A couple years at, at E-Town, how specifically does the door open at Westchester? Like what's the the connection or what's the opening that that sees you come on board with the Golden Rams? Well, I saw the position, I applied for it. And then I didn't know this, but the athletic director at that time at E-Town was really good friends with Deirdre Kane through the basketball world. Um, so I think that, re- I don't know if that helped me, but I know that they reached out, you know, to Deirdre and, and Deirdre reached out to my boss at a, at Elizabethtown. So that's how that door opened. I just applied and, you know, I had the skill set. Like I just, you know, with then the few connections here and there, it just helped. And I did do like at E-Town, I really brought that program around in two years. So that helped with the, the athletic director that was there at that time. So, you know, that's how it all sort of came around. We need to take a break. We will have more with Westchester University head softball coach, Diane Loki. right after this. This is one-on-one. And we are back on one-on-one, continuing our conversation with Diane Loki, head softball coach at Division II Westchester University. You have turned Westchester into an elite program, but when you took over, the Pickens looks like they were pretty slim. They were, Westchester was pretty much kind of a second division team. They were not a team that was threatening ever for, you know, high level success. Like when you take over, what's kind of the, from your standpoint, what's the lay of the land? Well, the one thing that Westchester softball didn't really have was consistency in coaching. So I think that's the one thing that I offered. Um, The first two or three years were really difficult to try to you know, get athletes to buy into taking care of the little things, just being a student athlete, just everything. 
And then I always say my first class, uh, my 2008 class was like the class that believed in me. And then they, you know, they really, they're the class that sort of like turned the table. They were the, my first class that I recruited. And um, I just say that they believed in me and they just sort of took control then. Like, and that's just sort of, it snowballed from there. So the first couple of years were really difficult. And back then too, we were on a, a year to year contract. So you didn't know what was happening. And so that was what, 04, 05, 06. Yeah. So it was 06. We had a pretty good year. And then that 08 class, that was our first, like, I think that was our first season to 30 wins or something like that. And that was those, those seniors that I recruited. They were my first class and they, I'm still really good friends with all of them to today because they believed in me and they, they bought into what I was trying to put out there. Do you remember, was there a game or a moment where you kind of felt like things had turned a corner? I don't remember a big moment, you know, um, I don't, you know, I don't talk about this often. I might start crying is my brother was killed in a car accident in 2006. And when he was killed, his kids were in college. And he always said, when you're, when my kids graduate, I'm going to help you get that program where it needs to be. Well, he never saw that. So sorry, but that, that 08 class where they were there, and they just sort of believed in it and they, they helped us, they helped us get us where we needed to go. And they, it was a big day when he was killed. So I always say that was a big turning moment in my career and in my life. That's incredibly powerful. And it feels like the connection with the kids was much more important than the wins and the losses, but one fueled the other. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. So it was like his goal was to help me get the program where it needed to be because we needed to, you know, to raise the money to get the scholarship, you know, to do everything. He's like, when my kids are done, I'm helping you. He never got to see his kids graduate. Those kids that the athletes that I my 2008 seniors, they were there the day it happened. And it just like it was just one of those moments that just like I think it it solidified like, OK, we're doing this. And we're doing this for Loki and we're doing this for this program. And it's just, we've never turned back like since 2008, you know, we've had a couple off years here and there, but it's always turned around. And it seems like the early part of your career, when I say early part, I mean, first 10, 12 years, there's the the years where you're kind of setting up roots. Then like that 08 to like 12, you guys become powerful in the PSAC. And then it's like, after that, there's another step where you guys start becoming a national power and a threat in NCAA tournaments consistently and and stuff like that. Is that something you could feel as a coach? Can we, obviously we dug into that 08. Did it start to feel different a couple years later? Like all of a sudden what you guys did in 08 was almost kind of like the floor. And I don't mean that disrespectfully, but that's like what's kind of expected now. And now the success is even beyond that. It's um, we were always on the bottom of the PSACE. So like our first goal was, you know, just to get to the playoffs. And that was what we did in 08. And then I think 09, we made it to the NCAAs, but we just, you know, we were getting there. And once we got to the NCAAs and we made it to our first super regionals, which was 2013, that was like, now we set that bar, like you said, and now, you know, we're not satisfied if we don't make it into the NCAA tournament. 
and then we need to get to the super regionals. And um, now we're fighting back again to try to get there. And I blame that on COVID. <laughs> but anyways, so yeah, it's it's those steps, like you said. Like I never thought of it like that. Is like, yeah, we need to get to the we need to get to the PSAC playoffs, and then you know we need to get. Then we made the regionals, and now we're like, oh, now we really like this. Let's get here. So, yeah, it's it's been fun. Next year, we celebrate the 10th anniversary of our first Atlantic Region Championship. Tougher to get to an elite level or stay there? Um, You know, when you're trying to get there, I don't think there's as much pressure. But now that you're there, you just have that constant pressure of, oh, like we can't, like we need to be there. And now we're fighting to get back again. Like we made it to the NCAAs this year, but wasn't satisfied with our performance. You know, we made it to the conference tournament again this year, but wasn't satisfied. And, you know, that's that list I kept, like, what wasn't, like, what wasn't I satisfied with? And so that's why I say, like, we were on like a good run and then COVID that year, that 2020 team was probably the best one. We, like, we, I thought we could have went to the national tournament and, and done some damage that year. Um, and then 2021, we fought back. That was an incredible ride. And, you know, now we're fighting back to get into, to go further into the conference tournament and the NCAAs. What was the toughest part? You mentioned COVID. What was the toughest part for you through that? Was it maintaining connection? Was it just logistics of what you could and couldn't do and the uncertainty of, you know, not what next season is going to bring, what could next, what's next week going to look like, like in the heart of that, of those COVID days, what was the toughest part? Just the constant change. I think, you know, every, I mean, at the national level, the international level, they didn't know what was happening the next day. It would be something different. Um, it was really, that was, that was difficult. Um, and then on the university side, just, you know, are we going back? Are we coming? Like just trying to keep just the constant change that was going on and constant policy change. That's what I mean. Just constant, just everything. And then just trying to keep your athletes and stay connected with them through a zoom or through a meeting, you know, you do your best to try to stay connected, but it's still hard because it's not the same. So we talk about you have success and then NCAA tournament. And then I think it's 2014. You guys basically go to the NCAA national championships for the first time. What, what is that ride like? And was that a group that, you know, if you and I talked this time of year, the season before that you thought they had it in them. So 2013, we lost in the super regionals. So that was our first taste. And a uh, bulk of our team was were juniors. Our starting pitcher we lost, and then we, we lost two pitchers off the 13 team and then a utility player. So coming into 2014, I feel as though they really had high goals. And that team was not as talented. Like we didn't have any All-Americans. We had nothing. But they truly cared about each other. And that's what I feel is missing in today's games is that those athletes in the 2014 team, they played for each other and they played with so much heart. And just if somebody wasn't doing something, they picked each other up. And um, that era, it's the 13, 14, 15, 16 era. It's probably one of the strongest connected group of athletes 
in Westchester softball history. We're all invited to all the weddings and they're just, they're very close and um, they still get together a couple times a year. They come to a lot of the alumni functions. Um, they're just a really super close group of athletes. I always say like they were so close that it's my first time in my career. I said, oh, hey, let's go to Costa Rica. So we went to Costa Rica in January of 2014 because we just came off the 13. This group was super connected and it was probably one of the best trips of my life. And they always talk about it, how it was just, you know, it was a great trip. But anyway, so that's that 14 team. Just, you know, I think they they really had high goals and they they did it. They won the first Atlantic Region Championship in school history. Did that unlock some things as far as the program's concerned when it comes to recruiting, exposure, maybe scheduling? Did things get I don't want to say easier, but just maybe you had more choices and maybe you were able to to go places that maybe those calls weren't getting returned, you know, in the past. So uh, Laura Altenberger, Coach Lama, everybody knows her as Lama. She was um, on that. She was a 16 graduate. So she was a sophomore in 14. She was our third baseman for four years. And it's funny because she always jokes. It, now she's my full time assistant. And she always jokes. She's like, these teams we have now, they would crush our 2014 team, <laughs> you know, because after that year, um, we just started getting higher caliber athletes and not just athletes, but just student athletes. Um, you know, in Westchester's a strong academic school and, you know, we just, it just, that's where it just started flourishing from there, you know, from that 14 season. How do you, when you're in the midst of a run, of years like that constant regionals and super regionals back to the national championships a, a few years later. How do you keep the bar high with the kids and not let people get used and think that these things happen just because I'm going to Westchester and that's how it works. Like how difficult is that from your standpoint as a coach, keeping the kids chasing that greatness? Um, it's really difficult. And it's one of the things that we struggled with the last couple years in 2021. So we won regionals at 18, 19, and then 2021. But in 2021, we were having a very difficult season. Like we were just barely playing 500. And then all of a sudden, I think the seniors were just like, okay, Hey, it's time to go. And it was time to go. And, um, Jen Hanshaw, you know, she started just pitching incredible. We started getting better at bats and just more key hits. And we just went on a run. But then in 2022, I think, People just thought that was going to happen. And it doesn't just happen. You can't wait. Um, so we we do talk about it. You know, one of the differences in 2022 is we didn't have a huge senior class either. And, you know, all the other years, most of the years we had like three to five seniors that would just put the team on their shoulder and go. And we didn't have that in 2022. We only had one senior. So, you know, we talk about it. And actually this year we did a visual with them. We had this team in our, how to describe it. Basically we took dirt from every win that we got and we started a thing and um, we had this little jar and we just started to show the visual so they could see, Hey, we can't wait till the last minute. We have to go now. So that helped a little bit, but it doesn't just happen and you have to work hard and you can't take the fall off and you can't take the summer off and you just got to keep working. And we, and we, preach it, but we just have to, you know, you have to get the athletes to buy into it. How much has the world of softball changed during your career? And we've kind of uh, have touched on it a little bit here. Just kids are maybe just better because there's more avenues to play softball and more kids are playing softball more growing up. Um, 
the exposure, there are times in the late spring, early summer where you almost can't flip through channels without coming across college softball of one form or another on TV. And I think five, ten years ago, that just didn't happen. How has all this changed the game or the number of kids and the types of kids that are now looking to take the sport further than maybe before? Yes, technology has definitely changed. Um, and actually, COVID sort of assisted that. You know, before COVID, there weren't that many Division II games streamed. Um, now everything's streamed, which is another avenue that has increased our workload because we never really got to view video before. So now we're, we have, we're viewing video. I think just, you know, what you said is the division one college world series. Now division two is streamed live division three is streamed live. And all these young athletes can see that all these, you know, they're the people they look up to are out there playing this game. So I think it's really, you know, really good thing. I, you know, one of the things that I say is that technology's really changed. It means changed how we coach. It's changed. Like I'm not a technology coach. Like I'm a coach where I grew up coaching from the gut. And, you know, when sometimes I get all this information, I'm like, Whoa, like slow down. <laughs> but yeah, that I think technology is the, not just the visual technology, but like in the bats, you know, what the bats can do, the stuff they put on. So we have like little sensors they put on their bats that help them gauge their swing. You know, we have balls that the pitchers throw that helps them with their spin rotation. Like just like all that little stuff. It's just, you know, amazing what all they have. And sometimes I feel like that's some, they, they lost like the root of the game because the technology tells them everything where they just don't have that gut anymore. Like, oh yeah, this is what I do. So that's one of the things that I see that's changed. How much fun is it though, to see the way the sport's grown? You know, the fact that you can channel surf between games of a college world series and and stuff like that. And I'm sure the tournaments that are now available for you to watch or to recruit at or everything, just as someone who's been so immersed in the game for your, your career to kind of see the way it's kind of blossoming on new fronts. I think it's really amazing how they can watch games like may I like, I'm not a big TV watcher, but I'm like in May and June, like don't bother me. Like I want to watch as much as I can. Cause I really like watching division one. I mean, division one, two and three college softball. Um, I, I'm not really one of the, I think the younger coaches really enjoy like the game changer and like all the, you know, they can sit and watch travel ball games live and club ball games live. That's not me. I mean, I think it's good for the sport, but it's not me. So, you know, it's it's just great that the the youth of today can sit and watch and learn and just watch their their idols on TV. You've spent more than two decades at Westchester. I'm curious, was there a conscious moment where you kind of decided this is where I want to plant the flag? Or is it kind of one of those where you're just enjoying it, you're coaching, you're growing, you're building, and, oh, I've been here five years. Oh, I've been here 10 years. Oh, I've been here five. How's that possible? Now I'm recruiting kids of kids that played for me, stuff like that. Like, was it conscious or just kind of you enjoyed it and you're just on the journey? Yeah, I just sort of enjoy it um, on the journey. Like, um, I don't... You know, over my career, I think I I may have interviewed for like one or two other jobs, but it just they weren't good fits. And um, the, it's a great university, and just you know enjoy the ride. 
And, you know, I've always enjoyed the athletes at Westchester. You know, we've had a lot of great times and great moments and we have a lot of fun. We, you know, it's, you know, it's it's a great place. So, you know, why not just stay? If you had to boil down what you hope people take away from being a part of your program to like a couple sentences, what would you kind of hope people think about when they think of Westchester softball? You know, I always say, like, I use a little yellow ball to teach them life skills. I think sometimes you learn more from being on a team than you might in a classroom. So I always just say this little ball is going to make you be a life-ready ram, you know, because it's going to teach you more about yourself than maybe sitting in a classroom. I think that some athletes, you know, get it while they're there, that you know, coach is really just trying to help us be life ready Rams, you know, the best are when I get a text, you know, maybe a year, two years out, like I didn't understand, they'll say, I didn't understand it when I was there, but I understand it now. That's what they're going to hopefully take out of it. You know, the, the wins and the losses and the, the trophies, they're great memories. Um, but your teammates, if you treat them right, they're going to be your, your lifelong friends. And this little ball is going to teach you so much about yourself. I know that wasn't a few sentences, but you got it. <laughs> do you prefer games or practices? Like if you could only do one, if for whatever reason somebody said you're only going to coach the games or you could only do practices, which do you prefer? Because I'm always fascinated that this with coaches I talk to, it's a 50-50 split because I think the knee jerk is everybody wants to have the games and the excitement and the glory and stuff like that. But a lot of people love the teaching when nobody's watching. What do you prefer? The practice. Yeah. I mean. I really enjoy the practice. It does get long, but we, you know, try to keep it interesting. And I also love, like, we have what's called individuals. I like the smaller group practices. I like seeing the athletes improve and getting the concepts, but yeah, the practices. And overall favorite part of what you do? Hmm. Um, like I said, just using that little ball to help, you know, hopefully get them ready for life. Life is hard and, you know, that ball teaches you about, you know, maneuvering hard and dealing with hard. And, you know, it's a great life skill. Things aren't going to be handed to you and you got to learn how to deal with hard. Diane Loki, thanks so much for taking the time. Thanks for having me. And that will do it for this week's episode. Want to thank Westchester University head softball coach Diane Loki for being our guest this week. Now, if you like the show and you listen on Apple Podcasts, do us a favor, leave us a rating and a review. You can follow the show on Twitter at one on one pod. You can follow me on Twitter as well at Matt Leon ten sixty. Thanks so much for listening, and be sure to check us out again next week when we bring you another conversation with someone you should know more about.